This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome to the local angle on FanDuel TV and to those listening to the Ringers Philly special. I'm Sheila Kapadia, joined by Ben Solak. We will talk about the Eagles getting blown out by the San Francisco 49ers. And of course, later we'll have on John Jastrzemski from New York, New York. He'll talk about that Jets loss uh, to the Falcons earlier on Sunday. We'll have Brian Barrett and James White from off the pike. The Patriots getting shut out. 6 nothing. I did not have eyes on that game. So we'll see what they have to say about that one. And then finally, Jason Goff from the full go. We'll talk about what's in store for the Chicago Bears in week 14 and the rest of the way. First of all, Benny Souls, you still got the Eagle sweatshirt on. You're still feeling okay. I have a way. I just want to say, how are you? And then I have a way mm-hmm. to frame how we got to talk about this Eagles 42 to 19 loss to the 49. Is that how you pronounce it? Loss? L- loss. Am I saying that right? It's been a while. I haven't. It's, I don't use this word very often over here. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the Eagles would lose this game because they had a tough game against the Chiefs and they had a tough game against the Bills. It was a tough stretch. They haven't been playing their best ball. Eventually, your chickens come home to roost. Like, and with the Niners as motivated as they were to win this game, I expected the Eagles to come in and lose this. I talked about that uh, last week on Philly Special. This just kind of smells like a letdown spot for the Eagles. I didn't expect 42-19. That's not great. I think mean, there's a lot to discuss in terms of how the Niners found the success they did and why they were so successful Pretty much after the first couple of drives, they just turned that thing on and it never turned off. And so I think there's a lot to go into like why the loss was so substantial. I'm nowhere near like panic mode. Walls are crumbling down with the Eagles. The Eagles are clearly still a very good team. They're clearly still among the class of the NFC, among the class of the NFL. They they were due for a loss. They got their loss. They got punched in the face and we'll see how they respond. Okay, so we'll get to all, all of that. I mean, you give up touchdowns on six straight possessions. Uh, on defense, Jalen Hurts leaves the game, comes back into the game. We'll get into all of that, but here's how I want to frame it. All right. So, you know, we're, we're both on like different Eagles text threads and, you know, hearing from different people. I feel like there are two camps right now. I'm going to give you the two camps and based on your initial answer, I think I know which one you fall in, but maybe after I make my argument, you're going to change your mind. All right. So here's camp number one. 
Eagles are frauds. Okay. They, they, they were getting outgained by over 90 yards in four straight games. They were losing at halftime in four straight games. Uh, their, their, uh, Point differential was bad. They were 10th in DVOA. And now in a big spot after the 49ers talk noise for 10 months, they come into your house and they kill you 42 to 19. We should have seen this game coming uh, all along. You can't keep winning the way the Eagles were winning games. Yes, they were 10 and one, but we all know they weren't as good as that record indicated. This is the start of something. There's going to be more losses this season. This team is probably not going to the Super Bowl. Right, that's that's camp number one. I don't know if yet, you know, we have a name for that. I know. Person. I know some some folks in that camp for sure. You know, some say. people like that. Yes. OK. And camp number two. Everyone settled down, okay? This was the 49ers Super Bowl. They had this game circled on their calendar. They couldn't get there last year. They were whining all offseason. They come in uh, and they win this game. Who cares? The Eagles are still 10-2. and They're still the one seed in the NFC. It doesn't mean anything that, that substantial for them. You know, this could end up being the best thing for them. It resets everything. Like you said, they get punched in the face. Now you refocus, you, you get the intensity back up, you go to Dallas next week and you win. Guess what? You're probably still going to be the one seed in the NFC. And if you play the 49ers again, the 49ers are going to have to come back to the link. It's going to look a lot different uh, that time. So listen, if everyone wants to panic for 24 hours, go ahead. But it's not that big of a deal. It's one loss. All right. So those are the two. Give me, uh, all right, do you have some parts of one tugging at you? Do you have some parts of two tugging at you? Where, where do you kind of stand with those two viewpoints on this Eagles team? Yeah, I'm mostly in camp too because the Eagles are very good uh, and they have extremely good players and they have a coach who's won a ton and they have a quarterback who's won a ton and, and they're good. Like they're they're We have such a large enough sample over the last two years of this team just winning games to be like, all right, they usually win games. Now, the the part of me that does tug to camp one, the little, you know, quiet, terrified voice in the back of my head, the question that he's asking is, well, okay, uh, Ben, you watch, like, you watch football, you cover football. What are the defensive adjustments they make to solve the problems that they had against the Niners offense? And the answer that my head gives is, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> get healthier at linebacker. Uh, and, and I'm not sure I myself believe Nicobe Dean and Zach Cunningham are that good. Sign Shaq Leonard. I don't think I myself believe Shaq Leonard is that good. I think uh, uh, adding players at linebacker can help solve s- some of the problem for you. I think it can mitigate some of the bleeding. But the Eagles now at this point have just given up a lot of production to wide receivers, right? Enormous Debo Samuel game. I think the two touchdowns that Debo Samuel scored as well, excuse me, the second and the third touchdown he scored, he scored on a, a reverse <laughs> and then he scored on a screen and, yeah, and a catch and run. Yeah, the second and third touchdowns that Debo Samuel scored uh, where he's just running away from everybody in the secondary. Those are the ones where you look at and you just go like, oh, that's right. Like both the Eagles starting corners are over 30. Bradley Roby is also hitting 30. Uh, they don't have fast linebackers. Uh, Reed Blank and Chip, but he's like a, a nice, decent safety, but he's not very fast. Kevin Byers a little bit long. Like the Eagles have no speed. They're not fast enough for this. Like even if you're covering the guys well and you're tackling the guys well, eventually you you get Debo in space, you get McCaffrey in space, and like the Eagles just don't have a a solution for that. They don't have a solution. Like Brandon Ayuk was on Darius Slay the whole game, and Ayuk had himself just a nice, solid performance. Right? Like they even their their stars aren't winning defensively in the back seven against the Niners stars, then throw in the fact that they're so beat up at linebacker and nickel corner. Eli Ricks was out there and getting picked on every third down by Jawan Jennings. Like there, it's very, very hard to solve all the problems the Niners presented to you. So there's a, there's a quiet team camp one voice that's freaking me out a little bit, but in general, you trust the offense to have a much better, more balanced performance. You trust the pass rush to have a more impactful performance. Like you've just seen that over the course of so many games that 
Eagles play the Snyders again. It's going to be an extremely heated and well-contested game, well-fought game, two very good teams. Eagles could still very well lose, but you don't think they're going to get blown out 42-19 to again. I think you're right about what the biggest concern has to be. I mean, every time you looked up after a big play, it was Nicholas Morrow, Christian Ellis, Eli Ricks. These are not household names. I mean, th- these are guys who are not supposed to be starters on your football team who are now put into that role. Now, every team has injuries, so I don't want to make that some kind of huge excuse. Every team has weaknesses on their roster, and this is a specific opponent that's going to expose those guys. And boy, did he. I mean, when you give up touchdowns on six straight possessions, this was the second worst defensive performance in terms of EPA per drive by any team in a game this season. Like the 49ers have faced defenses that are not good this season. And the only one they did this to was actually, you know, ironically, the Arizona Cardinals were the only worst one. The Eagles' former Don defensive Gannon, coordinator. Baby. He's John, always Jonathan there for Gannon. us being worse than, than, than others, being worse than Sean Desai. Thank you, Johnny Gans. <laughs> so I think you're right. If you have a negative, if you're a negative Eagles fan uh, watching this, listening to this, if you have a negative Eagles fan in your life, I think the biggest reason for that is because like, what? what's the fix? Like, I, you know, we'll, we'll look at it. We'll break down the X's and O's. Hey, Sean Desai could have done this. You could have tried this. Maybe mm-hmm. next time you do a little more of this. At the end of the day, it's what you said. Not only both corners, Ben, four out of your five members of your secondary are 30 years or older. None of them, I would say, is a great athlete. So now you have older players in the secondary and you have maybe, you know, the two weakest linebackers in the entire NFL. And by the way, the pass rush, which, you know, that's just been the story of this franchise for so long. When the pass rush is good, the defense is good. When the pass rush doesn't get home, the defense is not as good. I mean, they've had some moments here in the last month, six weeks, whatever you want to say, where the the pass rush really hasn't dominated. I mean, the first time they faced the Cowboys, and that's a big game coming up next week, Cowboys offensive line got the better of them for, I would say, 57 minutes of that game before they get a couple of sacks down the stretch, uh, you know, against the the Chiefs. The Chiefs tackles had some issues. Uh, The Bills, even that Bills game. I mean, Eagles pass rush was not dominating in that Bills game. And then in this game, you have the first two possessions where you go, oh, okay, they might be able to handle this 49ers offensive line. They're getting after Brock Purdy. They forced a couple three and outs. And then after that, it was like they didn't touch Brock Purdy. I mean, he was very comfortable uh, back there. Now, I don't know. Did you think that was more uh, just schematically how the 49ers are set up? I mean, they've schemed around kind of a talent deficient offensive line many times under Kyle Shanahan, or do you have some concerns about this Eagles pass rush and what they might be able to do and might not be able to do against some of the best teams in the NFC going forward? Yeah. So I think some of it was, was a schematic decision-making, right? Uh, the side walked out early uh, on early downs. So we're not going to lose the run. So we're going to have five down defensive linemen, right? And so you're playing with, you know, Jordan Davis, who doesn't provide as much for you as a pass rusher. And then you're thin at defensive tackle. And so you're on Jalen Carter and Fletcher Cox, and you don't have a lot behind them, right? I think earlier in the season, the Eagles thought this would be Milton Williams and Contavia Street, and they didn't have that for them this game, right? And so now it's a Marlon Tuipelotu game, right? And, and Moro Jomo, however many reps those guys got, right? You're kind of have, uh, not at, at your ideal rotation there. And so, okay, you're playing with that, that wide front, and you're, you're t- trying to take away the run. Unless we forget those first couple of drives, the Niners were trying to get to the boundary. Like their initial game plan was very clearly like, hey, outside runs, reverses, and quick screens, and like, let's go, let's get outside of this team. You have Nolan Smith blowing up blocks and Hassan Reddick blowing up blocks, and the Eagles are playing the game that they want to play. Behind that, if you're going to go five down defensive linemen, you're just very limited in your coverage menu. Like, unless you're going to drop a defensive end, which Eagles don't want to do, you don't have a lot you can play in coverage behind it. And so eventually the Niners got to a point where they just 
were able to get to their buckets, right? Five yards to IU, six yards to George Kittle, get a first down to Christian McCaffrey. Like that, that first scoring drive was just like small incremental passes. It was nothing big. And then all of a sudden there's a catch and run for George Kittle, bang. Uh, all of a sudden there's a catch and run for you, Samuel, bang. Like they get you with the yards after the catch, right? They get you because you struggle to tackle these athletes in space. I thought that this side wanted to take away like uh, uh, deep middle throws, right? The Niners didn't make a lot of throws like that intermediate middle where they typically throw the ball so much. They didn't hit like a brand that you could run across the field 15 yards down the field. Like that's usually their, their honey hole shot. They had none of that in this game, but they didn't need it because, okay, if you're going to dedicate your line to taking away the run early, and then you're going to play with these deep dropping zones, we're just going to throw underneath and, and we feel like we can nickel and dime you. And we can still get explosives because we have such good yak athletes and you can't tackle. And they were right about that. So I think that that Desai needed to overall become more aggressive, uh, be more willing to live with a four down rush and lose a little bit more to the running game and be more willing to blitz and live with coverage behind it. Because if they're going to get 20 yard catch and run to George Kittle on a little five yard dink and dunk pass at 2.5 seconds, you're not going to win. You have to you have to dictate, right? There's no, there's there's nothing to do about that. There's if, if a five yard eight out becomes a 20 yard gain, you're screwed. You're up the creek without a paddle. You have to start to, to create. You have to start to do something. And you saw they came out of the halftime and there was that Reed Blankenship almost pick on Brandon Ayuk, right? And I thought that was a very telling play where they were like, all right, we're getting the safeties lower. We're jumping some routes. Like we're taking some risks. They beat us on a double move. Purdy holds onto the ball for three seconds and they get us. But we, we are going to get the safeties lower. They're going to get more involved in these windows. We're going to take some risks. And they almost got paid off for it, but they weren't able to, right? And so I think overall you have to walk out and just say, all right, we're going to live a feast or famine world here because we're not going to be able to reliably stop this team. Next up, let's go to JJ, John Jastrzemski from New York, New York. He'll talk about that Jets loss to the Falcons. Trevor Simeon makes an appearance. All right, let's hear from JJ. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. to the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, where touchdowns have become optional for the team that wears green and white. And I know for many of you out there, you're probably wondering, JJ, how many ways can you slice and dice and how many ways can you dissect the fact that the Jets are talking about a season in which they are historically bad from an offensive perspective when it comes to scoring touchdowns. This is not me being dramatic. This is not me exaggerating in any way. The New York Jets are in the middle of one of the worst stretches any team has had in 30 years when it comes to putting the ball in the end zone. So sure enough, that ended up being a narrative on Sunday as the Jets lose to the Atlanta Falcons. They fall to four and eight on the year. I think everyone now can take a chill pill when it comes to the narrative and the discussion to whether or not Aaron Rodgers will be back on the field. I mean, anybody who honestly entertained that and gave it credence and actually took it seriously, 
I, I, I got a memo for you. Shame on you. Shame on you. I mean, the Jets, with or without Aaron Rodgers, would have had problems on this team. Now, I understand the Jets would be a much better team with a future Hall of Famer quarterback compared to the quarterbacks they have run out there. Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, Trevor Simeon. Got a taste of the magic in the second half of this game against Atlanta. And the result has been the same. Again and again and again. It's anemic. It's pathetic. It's hopeless. And the Jets can't score touchdowns. To put it in perspective, and I want to make sure I have this right. The Jets have 10 touchdowns. The fewest offensive touchdowns by any team in 12 games over the last 30 years of NFL football. Let that sink in for a moment. We've seen a lot of bad offensive football teams. We have seen a whole lot of bad offensive football teams in this city. And yet, the Jets in 2023, they take the cake. They're the worst of the worst. And the Jet season is over. We all know that. The Jet have an offensive problem. We all know that. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't rupture his Achilles in week one, there's no doubt in my mind, Joe Douglas is fired. Robert Sala is fired. And our narratives around the Jet hierarchy and power structure are probably a much different conversation and a much different feel to what they are in this first week of December. But I think for most Jet fans out there, they're sick of this head coach. And Robert Sala might be good with the players. Robert Sala might do a good job as far as drawing up defensive game plans. He cannot coach offensive football, and he cannot hire the right people to run his, uh, his offensive systems, whether it's quarterbacks, whether it's coaches. Explain to me how Joe Flacco gets signed off the street by the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns, who do not have Nick Chubb, the Cleveland Browns, who just bring him into their practice facility, what, a week ago? And Joe Flacco is thrown for 250 yards. And I know he ended up losing this game uh, against the Los Angeles Rams. But Joe Flacco, to me on Sunday, played better than any Jet quarterback at any moment here in 2023. How's that the case? How is that possible? That's this sad indictment and a sad state of affairs with this coaching staff. You could try to tell me, oh, it would have been different if Aaron Rodgers had played. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. But you honestly believe you have yourself the right coach? I think the Jets will run it back next year. Unless this gets real rotten. Unless this gets real ugly between now and week 18. But if the Jets win the Washington game and they go win uh, the game against New England the last game of the year and they're 6-11, and 11, they're 7-10, and 10, they have the ace in the hole. They have the built-in excuse. But it's hard for me to envision that the Jets have themselves the right coach. And if you look at the way this roster has been built, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I have serious skepticism of the way Joe Douglas has, has constructed and built this roster. It's a mess from top to bottom, and the result remains the same for the hapless 4-8 New York Jets. So... What else is new? Worst offensive team you've seen in 30-plus years from a touchdown scoring perspective. You got it. 
You got it. And I'm sorry, that should not be the case. There are two big events. One, that to me is far more intriguing than the other, but we know one of them is a full-fledged money grab. That's the NBA in-season tournament. Uh, I have been a harsh critic of the in-season tournament. If you are all hot and heavy for it, I'll be betting on it, and I'll be into it, I guess, to some degree on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, I guess. Money talks. Beats talk. It's not going to change my life one way or another if the Knicks go and win it or not, but they will be a part of the quarterfinals. They'll be taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. Their number has moved from 17-1 to 1 to win this bad boy. Now, all of a sudden, it's down to 11-1. And look, the Knicks could have beaten Milwaukee when they played them earlier in the year. They got a monster game from Jalen Brunson. They got a subpar game from Julius Randle. They're a five-point underdog on Tuesday night, which tells me they're alive, they're in it, they're competitive to maybe get to the semis and maybe find their way to Las Vegas. And they match up well with the Celtics. I know they lost twice to Boston, and Porzingis killed them in the first game of the year, and Jason Tatum killed them in the second game of the year. But I've seen the Knicks go and have big games against the Celtics in years past, so you could sell me on them maybe being a decent value bet still at 11-1 to go and win this thing. If that gets you all excited, more power to you. I just want to cash tickets. That's my big objective when it comes to this NBA in-season tournament. I know what it is. It's a full-fledged money grab. If it's going to change your life that much from an NBA historical perspective, go check yourself, okay? Go check yourself in a big way. Please, spare me the nonsense. You're into it, more power to you. The other big event that is coming up this week from a baseball perspective, winter meetings, Nashville, Tennessee. I don't care what it takes. Juan Soto needs to be a New York Yankee. I don't want to hear about the Blue Jays. I don't want to hear about Michael King. I don't want to hear about pitching prospects. I don't care. Soto, that swing, that personality, his star power is a must for the Yankees. Yes, Yamamoto would be great. I know some of you will convince yourself on Cody Ballinger. They got a chance to go and get one of the seven best players in all baseball. I don't care if it's for a one-year rental. You're the Yankees. You could pay them. You could afford them. Get it done. This better be posturing, and I better be sitting here, holiday time, two days before Christmas, hopefully unwrapping my Dolphin season bet to win a division and unwrapping Juan Soto as the next left fielder for the New York Yankees. I can't stress that enough. That had better get done. But it's going to be a fascinating week. Otani, not coming to town. Yamamoto, very much in play to come to town. Montgomery, Ballinger, Soto. So a lot of big names, a lot of buzz to see what the Yankees and the Mets are going to do after two rotten and vile seasons in 2023. What do they have in store for an encore? And what can they do to really make that encore a much better one in 2024? All right. As we now, here on The Local Angle, turn it over to you. You can leave us a voicemail. How cool is that? At 917-382-1151. You get in touch with the show, just like you get in touch with the New York, New York podcast. Let's hear who we got. Steph, take it away. Brando from Cube Gardens. JJ, this coaching staff, this front office, they got to go, man. They just got to go. I'm tired of screaming and yelling. I'm tired of looking at this coach with his arms crossed. JJ, I just, I have no more words. These guys, the, the whole front office, 
the coaching staff. And if Woody Johnson can sell a team, sell it, sell it. Oh man, JJ, what a bad, what a bad day, man. What a bad day, man. All right, JJ. By the way, your Dolphins look good, man. Tua and Hill, they're amazing, man. That was awesome to see today. My fantasy, thank you. <laughs> see you later, JJ. See you later, man. Sad Jets fan. Peace. You know, Brando. I wish you had an opportunity to experience how fun it is to watch your football team feel like at any moment, at any minute, they got guys on a field who can go and score a touchdown. And I can't necessarily pin blame on Joe Douglas for not getting Tyreek Hill because the Dolphins were more aggressive. The Dolphins had no state tax that they could offer down in South Florida. And it felt like Tyreek Hill really wanted to be in Miami far more than being uh, a part of the New York Jets. But look at how he and Mike McDaniel have changed to his life. They have changed to his life. Brian Flores, they couldn't score touchdowns. They couldn't attack down the field. They couldn't make big plays. Mike McDaniel has empowered his quarterback, and they're one of the most electrifying, one of the most entertaining teams to watch in the NFL. You see that, and then you watch the Jets, and you're like, wow, how is it the same sport? And the Jets have a defense that has played great all year. And I know they were supposed to have one of those quarterbacks that was the difference maker. But the reality is that, to your point, this front office deserves major criticism. They don't have a second number, uh, number two wide receiver, somebody to put alongside Garrett Wilson. They built a terrible offensive line. They built a roster that's flawed, and they basically had an offseason in which they just wanted to placate Aaron Rodgers and did whatever the hell Aaron Rodgers wanted. That's how you get a position that just crumbles. And that's exactly what has happened this year. It started with the Rodgers injury. You got the false hope after the win against the Philadelphia Eagles and that the close game against the Kansas City Chiefs, but the reality was you were never winning anything with these particular quarterbacks. Sure. But to be as inept and as incompetent and as just sad as they have been from an offensive perspective, that's embarrassing stuff. I mean, imagine sitting out at MetLife Stadium for three and a half hours today watching that game with the Atlanta Falcons today. If you did that, you're a brave soul and I'll ever be. Okay? So... You deserve yourself a nice round of applause for that being the case. Or you're just a damn fool. I don't know. One or the other. I look at it positively. You might look at it negatively, but be my guest. All right, before we say goodbye, Jeff Money, who joins us on our pod each and every week, got some picks for me. What do you got in store for the Monday Night Action, Jeff Money? Let's go. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper. Picks a beat for Monday, the fourth, the Monday night football game. You already know what I'm going to roll with. I'm rolling with the Jacksonville Jaguars minus the eight and a half over the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're going to roll with the Jaguars minus the eight and a half. Let's see if you have a family play of your heads up with me on that game. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. We are not riding together on this particular game. I think you're going to get a spirited effort from the Cincinnati Bengal defense. And I would take Cincinnati plus eight and a half, even with Jake Browning, the quarterback, to go and keep this game competitive. Bengals got a lot of pride. You got a lot of guys who played in winning environments each of the last two years. 
they're not going to have many moments the rest of this year where they can shine in front of a national audience and on the national stage. I think you get that on Monday night. I think Jacksonville will win the game. I think Lawrence will do enough to win the game. But I think that eight and a half number is pretty sharp. And I would take Cincinnati to go and keep it close and competitive for the nation to see. Uh, we'll be cashing Knicks plus five on Tuesday, though. I love that in the in-season tournament. They will be in that game for sure against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I like my 17-1 a lot more than I like 11-1. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. That'll do it for New York, New York with John Zestremski here on The Local Angle, right here on FanDuel TV. We'll come right back. Next up, we've got Brian Barrett and James White from Off the Pike to talk about the Patriots and Bailey Zappi getting shut out. Oh, man, I was watching that score all day long. 6-0, 6-0, 6-0. Just stayed there. 6-0 win by the Chargers. Where does that leave the Patriots? Brian and James, we'll talk about that. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now as he does each and every week, it is three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. Well, James... We always say this is rock bottom for the Patriots. This is legitimately one of the worst offensive games we've seen in NFL history. The Patriots put up zero points. The Chargers only put up six points in this game. It's like the lowest scoring football game. I think my buddy Andrew Callahan tweeted out in the past five seasons. Nobody was doing anything offensively. But the Patriots, man, they had opportunities all second half to make plays. They couldn't come through. They changed the quarterback. They go from Mac to Zappi. Now, Zappi was not particularly great in this game. I guess the one thing he didn't do is turn the football over. The one turnover came when Ramondre got injured and fumbled the football. But it just, I feel bad right now for the defensive players. They completely shut down the Chargers. The Chargers didn't score a touchdown in this game. And the Patriots offense can't generate a single point in this game. Yeah, I mean, AP, he said it last week. I'm pretty sure he said if... You know, our offense can't score, then we can't give up any points, and then maybe we'll win football games. And it's tough being a defender, you know, on a team where your offense is struggling to score. I thought Bailey, I thought he did a decent job. I don't think he played terribly. He he had some shots down the field. You know, guys couldn't come down with it. Devontae had one that was very close at the end. I thought he I thought he played his tail off. He had like a couple of drops and whatnot, but he was the one guy competing, playing with energy. Taekwon had the reverse, but he was playing with a little energy with that. So that was that was good to see that guys were, you know, trying to compete. But, like, when push came to shove in crucial situations, 
still ended up being a sack or couldn't get things done on fourth or third down. And that's just that's just what it's been. You see a, a decent drive, get into the red zone, decide to go forward on fourth down, sack, or just the, the play doesn't end up working out. And just what it's, this has been the story of the offense all year long. But it's it's hard. And I said, it's, I'm sure it's tough coaching it. I'm sure it's tough playing playing in it, and it's it's just very frustrating. Yeah, and the other thing I'd say about that is I understand there were weather conditions in this game, and that certainly plays a role in this thing, but that's not an excuse to score zero points. And I actually tweeted out, like, can we get Matt Patricia to come in at halftime, try to help Bailey Zappi? Because Zappi was actually good with Patricia last year, not so much with Bill O'Brien. But just to put some context on this, so the Chargers came into today, to today 5.8 yards per play on defense, 29th. The Patriots are at 4.1. They gave up 390.6 yards per game. That was last in the NFL. The Patriots didn't even reach 360, or excuse me, didn't even reach 260, okay? So you made the worst defense in the NFL look good. Now, certainly weather plays a part of that, but a lot of that had to do with the Patriots. And you mentioned some of the missed opportunities. I go to the first drive of the second half where Zappi has that nice little pump fake. He picks up four yards, first down. You feel like you've got some momentum going. Zappi gets sacked. Trent Brown was beat. And then he gets sacked again by Mack when on when you was beat. So you go from the 32 to the 43, so you're knocked out of field goal range. Next series, Tyquan Thornton. They actually drew up a nice deep ball to Tyquan Thornton. He can't make the play on that one. Eventually, you have to punt on that drive. Now, the next series after that, the third series of the second half, Thornton on an end around, great play, 39 yards to the 35. Finally, a big play for Thornton this year. But after that, Zappi sacked when he tries to scramble. And then fourth and five, you lose nine yards. Derwin James blitzes. The Patriots don't pick it up. And then the final series, Zappi to Parker, 14 yards. Parker, the interference. I still don't know why that wasn't overturned. It did look like the defense tipped it. But nonetheless, the Patriots get that. And then Zappi has this nice throw down in the field. Unfortunately, Parker is out of bounds. Can't come down with that one where Parker had a pretty good game. But that's a play you make that. You have a chance to go in. After that, Zappi's incomplete to Parker again, and then he's looking for Henry, and he's incomplete. So those are four drives in the second half, where if you just make one play there, one of those plays, whether it's Thornton makes the catch, whether it's Parker makes the catch, just one, whether it's Onwenu or Trent Brown doesn't get beat for a sack, the Patriots have an opportunity to win, win this game. It's every drive is killed by negative plays, and this has sort of been, unfortunately, the theme of the Patriots' season. It's just negative plays, miscues, Emmys, all at the wrong time. You have something decent going, then there's a sack. You lose 10 yards. You have something going, and whatever, incomplete pass on a potential opportunity for a big play. And when it comes down to fourth down for the game, you know, nobody's open. He's scrambling, trying to find something. And, of course, he has to you know, force the ball up in the middle of coverage. Even on an earlier fourth down, there was, there was nobody open. They show the the wide view. There's, there's nobody open. No, nobody for him to throw to. Like nobody's getting any separation and one on one coverage. And you know it's hard doing that at quarterback. And you're thinking on fourth down. At least I'm going to have one guy, you know, that I can look to, that I can trust. Okay, one on one coverage. I'm going to this guy. And right now there, I think Devontae was the guy today. He kept going back to him, and he was doing a decent job. I thought on the one pass down the sideline in the fourth quarter, I thought that was pass interference. Even though, even though his foot was out of bounds, I thought the guy was was tugging on him the entire time while he's trying to go over the ball. It's just it's tough. You can't, you know, rely upon the refs and in, in games and that's in that type of situation to help bail you out. But yeah, in typical yeah, situations. Unfor- yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say the unfortunate part about that is 
like Parker, I thought had a good game today, as you mentioned, and maybe it was interference at the end of the game. But the problem in today's game, you feel it that your six-round rookie is unable to go because he was dealing with a concussion in Demario Douglas. Like you actually needed Demario Douglas in this game because, I mean, Juju was okay in this game, but Demario Douglas, right now, as this team is currently constructed with Kendrick Bourne out for the season with the torn ACL, he's the number one guy. Like that's the guy that Bailey Zappi would be looking for right now on third down, on fourth down, on critical plays. And the problem, I think, for both of these quarterbacks throughout the season, after Bourne went down, there's not that guy on the roster right now. So, look, these quarterbacks are limited. We've said that throughout the season. But another issue with this team, and we said it before the year, who are the weapons? And right now, they just don't have those guys on the team. Like, essentially, this year, they've got nothing out of the tight end position. I mean, I know that ball was late to Henry, but hey, you're making a lot of money. It'd be nice if you could make like a play for your quarterback at some point. But what have they gotten out of Gasicki, right? So like all these investments they've made, none of them have really panned out. And you start to think, I know we go back to Jacoby all the time, but they have no reliable playmakers outside really of the running back and Ramondre Stevenson, who unfortunately goes down early in this game. He had north of 40 yards in the first quarter. Maybe you win if he plays But that's the only way you're going to win, which brings me to this, James. Like we talk about the limitations with some of the receivers and the tight ends. We heard all week Malik Cunningham was getting reps at practice. The Patriots, clearly they had issues with the vertical passing game, which has been an issue all season long. Where was Malik Cunningham? Where was the package for Malik Cunningham? I thought we were going to I thought for sure that we were going to see this in this game and we don't see him at all. Yeah, I thought we would see at least a few plays him sprinkled in there, especially when the offense can't get anything going. Just, you know, mix him in there on first down, second down, a third and short, just to give the defense something else to think about. You know, his ability to throw the ball, run the ball, whatever, just line him up a receiver just to make him think, I don't know, just put the guy out there on the football field. I thought it would happen at some point. You know, with Ramondre going down, I thought that was a huge loss. He's been the best part of the offense these last several weeks. He's you know, back breaking those tackles, running through arm tackles, getting downhill, you know, showing the explosiveness, the 40 yards in the first quarter. If he finishes the game, he probably has over 100 yards rushing. And then, you know, maybe it was easy for Bailey Zappi today. Maybe he'll have, you know, more easy access throws across the middle on play action and things of that nature. I thought Zeke was was trying to run hard, but the it seemed like the holes were, you know, starting to close the more the game went on. And it was it was a tough battle. And it's hard, it's hard to see it. Not getting, like you said, not getting, you know, much production from the tight ends. The receivers aren't creating much separation. This would have been a great game for Pop Douglas. A lot of short passes. He's that type of guy who can, you know, get the ball in space. He can make a few guys miss, create those extra yards. That's what we would always talk about. You know, when I was playing, we played in those, you know, rain weather football games. Probably going to be a lot of short passes. Guys got to catch the football and then make guys miss. It's going to be sloppy tackling, sloppy routes, things of that nature. You got to take advantage of the weather, which I thought Ramondre was doing early on. Not many, I thought Taekwon did on his reverse. He, he ran through arm tackle and created a big play. That's like, that's the type of thing you have to do in those type of weather situations to help your quarterback out. The skill players have to be able to create yards on their own. Yeah, and the other frustrating part about it with Ramondre is some of us on FanDuel may have had Ramondre for an anytime touchdown, along with Tyreek Hill and Derrick Henry. So <laughs> that, that certainly doesn't help when he goes down for it. From a selfish perspective, (laughs) (laughs) early on in this game, that that was not particularly ideal. But yeah, it it is. I think about it, too, like going into the future. What we've seen the past three games, and I would say three and a quarter, 
just one of the bright spots for the team because a lot of this season we were talking about Ramondre. He hasn't been that same guy. And we weren't saying it was him. It's just they weren't blocking it. The offense was always falling behind, so they had to throw the football. And it does look like Ramondre, over the past three weeks prior to this game, he's had 5.5 yards per carry. No qualified running backs at that in the season. And I think about the future of this team. Clearly, Ramondre Stevenson, if you're drafting in the top three, which looks very likely at this particular point in time, he's the type of player that you would like to have with the young quarterback. But in terms of Zappi, he didn't do anything today that I look at. Now, not that he played excellent, but I don't think now going forward, there's any questions in terms of the quarterback. Like, I don't see this week being the secret that last week was with Belichick and company, right? Like, we're going to pencil in Zappi to be going forward as the quarterback. I don't see how you go back for Mac. Because the one thing Zappi did at least do is he protected the football. Yeah, he protected the football in tough weather situation. No fumbles, no strip sacks, anything like that. No interceptions. Yeah, you can very easily see him starting next week and seeing what he does in his next opportunity. You know, you know, getting better weather, you know, getting the another start under your belt and seeing what he can do. Like I said I thought he handled himself extremely well. Like I said a lot of young quarterbacks and in that type of weather, we probably would have saw, you know, not even just interceptions, a lot of would be interceptions as well, which he he probably had like one or two that possibly could have been intercepted at some point. But I thought he made he was decisive. You know, he tried to use his legs to extend plays, which he's, you know, he's slightly more athletic than Mac is, and he used it some, which I thought was good to see, especially in this type of weather. Like, if nobody's open and there's tight, you know, tight coverage, your guy might not be able to make those plays, you know, scramble, try and get, you know, two or three yards, help yourself out, you know, stay on schedule on second and third down. I thought he did a great job of that. Yeah, and one thing I have to say is one person with this organization maybe made the best choice. And that's Devin McCourty. Because Devin McCourty, like yourself, is a three-time Super Bowl champ. And he made the right choice to retire after this season. So I'd like to congratulate Devin McCourty on an excellent choice because he didn't have to go through this season with the Patriots. Next up is Jason Goff from the full go to look ahead at what's in store for the Chicago Bears in week 14 and the rest of the season. Justin Fields, draft positioning, Matt Eberflus, Jason Pickasol. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. So I didn't think there would be anything uh, local or anglish about it. But shout out to all the folks over at the local angle fan duel TV. As you can see in the background, it is a festive Christmas season in the background. You know, I got the poinsettias back there, which haunt my dreams every single time Christmas season rolls around. Cause my first job was at Frank's nursery and craft. And I unloaded Christmas trees onto old ladies, wood panel station wagons while also selling them poinsettias by the, by the bushels. Okay. So 
anytime I see a poinsettia, I think, damn, that's when I was making 475 an hour. And over to my left, we have the Christmas tree that uh, Dr. P had just, uh, you know, freshly adorned with the ornaments. So we are in full Christmas vibes here. And guess what? There's Christmas cheer because there was no Bears football. So you might ask yourself, man, what's the local angle going to be about? Well, Jay, what's been going on? You, you, you seem pretty jolly. You know why I seem pretty jolly, y'all? Because I'm a Bulls fan, and I don't care what you say. It, two wins out of seven, happening in three days span. Oh, we out here cooking with gas. I'm out here planning parades. You can't tell me nothing. Io DeSumo for MVP. Kobe White is going to be, you know, when can we max out Kobe? Huh? These are the conversations that I'm looking forward to having because guess what? We are coming back down to earth. Right. We're figuring out what we want as a basketball fandom as Chicago Bulls fans. Kobe White has played his butt off all season long so far. And the games that he didn't score in, he bounced back and played terrific defense. Like the dude is growing in a way that I am so happy to see in these last two games. Kobe White has gone above and beyond to be the leader that kind of has been absent on this team. And I and my man Kendall Gill sitting to my left said that Kobe White became the leader of this team the other night. And I was like, oh, hold on, KG. Hold, hold on. <laughs> you don't want to put that on that young man's jacket just as yet. They still 7-14. and 14. You don't want him having to lead a bunch of dudes who are older than him. But... I really, really have been impressed with the young man. And we've been impressed with the effort. That's all we asked for. And that's all we've talked about from the start of this season was if you're not talented enough, which that's not the truth. <laughs> There's plenty of talent on this team. But if you're not talented enough, play hard, play smart. This team has gotten out and ran. And, and what's happened is, and it's been interesting to watch, is that DeMar DeRozan has kind of had to find his pace and find his spots in the offense. And when it's slow, down it's so so present it's 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 spotlighted it's magnified over these last couple of games because there is a certain section of this squad that wants to run we've seen alley-oops and 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 lob passes for the first time in years and you can't get those usually in the half court because the guy that you would be throwing it to is the guy that's usually got the ball in his hands dribbling which is zach levine so in the last two games i've seen better effort we've seen better shooting obviously and it's not even the fact that the Bulls control the basketball. See, this is the thing. We talked about that top five defense and top 10 defense uh, as, as far as the metrics are concerned. Well, what's happening is the beginning of this season with the pace not being what it's supposed to be, the Bulls are in the top five in turnovers allowed, right? So they hadn't been turning over the basketball. They've been putting up a lot more shots, but in that first game without Zach and without DeMar DeRozan against the Milwaukee Bucks, ladies and gentlemen, against the Milwaukee Bucks, they had 13 first half turnovers. And I wasn't mad at one of them because they all came in the half court. They were running, they were pushing the ball. And when the thing got, when the offense got bogged down or the defense was set, that's where they turned the basketball over. So even the turnover number, which what they're playing right now, I look forward to that getting a little bit chunkier. You know why? Because the mistakes that they need to make are effort and pace mistakes it's not decision making where it's like oh i you know I, I'm, I'm doing too much 
if anything, it's a guy not hitting, getting hit with a back cut or somebody being faked out where they're supposed to be because you're on the floor with guys that you're not normally on the floor with. The, the rotations have been skewed a little bit as well because Zach Levine has gone down. DeMar DeRozan missed a game in there with an ankle sprain. Alex Caruso didn't play the second half of their last game. So they've got guys out there that haven't really been on the court with each other for any uh, appreciable amount of time. And Io DeSumo was like, all right, it's time for me to just run and play defense and do the things that I did in Illinois. Like the 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 way that Justin feels, you know, when, when everybody blew up about uh, the, the the coaching answer that he gave, and then he had to come back out and talk about it an hour and a half, two hours later. It's not because somebody is dumb. It's because they're young. They're inexperienced. A lot can be put on an inexperienced developing player's plate and it'd be too much. We've all been the new person at a job, the new guy, the new girl, the new whatever at a gig. And if on day one, you learn how to do everyone's gig, then there's going to be an issue. It is not about aptitude. It's not about, can you, can you pass a test? It's about, okay, you're a professional. And this situation, you know, anytime that too much is heaped on a young player's plate or a young athlete's plate, it's because the situation probably isn't good, right? It's because you were there as the savior because this team is no damn good. Or people are hurt and you have to fill in. Ayo Dusumu looked like a regular basketball player. You didn't have to worry about initiating the offense and doing pick and rolls with Vooch. He was just out there playing. And these, these last couple of games... I know that in the grander scheme of things, the big picture, they may not, they don't mean a lot when it comes to what the Bulls will be this season. But for me, it was stark. The contrast was stark. And it's bad timing for Zach. And his right soreness, his right foot soreness. It's it's horrible timing for him, right? Because you go out and then all of a sudden they have two of their better wins of the season, which brings the total to seven. So even if it ain't about you, it looks like it's about you playing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't leave my crib, you know, tonight and then come back a week later and be like, man, you know, we was just having this conversation. Me and Pete was just having this conversation. Man, you know, uh, somebody really did put together all these bookshelves in here, huh? You know, it's like, damn. <laughs> Uh, hey, as soon as I left, everything got done around here. Hey, it ain't that I'm a bad guy. Maybe I was just a little bit slow on the draw putting this together. That's all it is. And, and that's what it looks like with Zach now. These last two games, it's like, well, maybe I'm not a bad basketball player. And maybe I'm not the reason why the pace is slower and the effort is bad. But I'll be damned. <laughs> I'll be damned if they didn't figure it out while I was away. Right. And he's going to be away now for a, a week, you know, back, you know, backloaded to the last two games. Right. So he's already spent that time on on the men. And I'm not here to question if Zach has a you know a legitimate injury or not. We just know what the optics are. and We talk about these things like fans and observers do talk about these things. So to see this team and there's a little bit of this in it, too. Hey. The backups, and we've all been in jobs before where we got a chance to do somebody's job that is above ours, and you can't wait to style on somebody. The backups looked at each other and was like, hey, y'all, <laughs> the dudes that we've been talking about behind their backs ain't playing these next couple of games. <laughs> Let's get it in. <laughs> Let's get it in, 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 in a good way, though. You know what I mean? Like big brotherly way. Like you you know when your big brother is out and you, you, you're moving around the house. You're like, yeah, I did what he did because I'm better than him. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, I didn't get the big piece of chicken now. Screw that dude. He ain't worth his value anymore. Like, that's what those young dudes is running around. Patrick Williams is out here pulling up, dunking on people, catching lobs. Like, like Patrick Williams is out here turning it into, you know, Carl Malone. <laughs> now maybe all this time we've been talking about, like, oh, Pat is deferring to the veterans and Pat doesn't want to do this. Maybe, just maybe, and I'm just having fun for all of y'all out there that's about to get upset about this, but I don't care. Maybe just maybe Pat was like, tried to told you, tried to told you. 